Hello, greetings and salutations. Welcome to the show that looks at revisiting films, albums and video games and ask anyone for seconds. I am your host, Dave. Hi, how's it going? You've successfully created a fort from toilet paper. Okay, it's movie time and this time we're going to take a look at Josh Brolin in his first comic book role in 2010's Jonah Hex. Why don't you just say that to begin with? This is the future. Future's bright. Can you shoot? Can you? This war begins right here! I own you now! Now you must for being owned. Jonah Hex. Okay, well, dare I ask why we're covering this? Well, prior to episode one, I was aware of his existence. I avoided it due to its critical reception, which we're going to get into later. I even read a few of the comic books, and I fairly enjoyed them. Jonah Hex is a great pulp comic that nods to its obvious influences, and it has fun with the format. Jonah Hex even appears in the CW's TV series Legends of Tomorrow, and he's handled triumphantly, playing well with the already established main roster of characters. So when the film recently came up in my recommended viewing on Netflix, I was full of these positive memories of this character and thought that maybe, just maybe, the film wasn't as bad as it was made out to be. Plus, we've also had Josh Brolin put in a tour de force performance as everyone's favourite dried raisin, Thanos. So to see Brolin's first comic book role as Hex, I thought would be fairly interesting. Before I say anything more, I've forgotten to do the most important part of the show. I think it's time for that important context dump. No poop joke this time. I'm tired. I'll let you do it yourself. Just make sure you wash your hands, okay? 2010's Jonah Hex had a troubled pre-production. Famed producer Akiva Goldsmith and Andrew Lazar teamed out to bring this cult DC Comics character to life on the big screen. Akiva Goldsmith had actually previously attempted this in the year 2000, when the rights belonged to 20th Century Fox, and he tried to get a one-hour TV adaptation of the character to no avail. So when Warner Brothers got the rights, they met with Goldsmith and Lazar, who in turn hired the collaborative duo of Mark Neveldine and Brian Taylor, more commonly known as Neveldine Taylor to not only write the screenplay, but also direct the film. Neville Dean Taylor, and most famous for directing zany oddball action film, Crank, a somewhat interesting choice for Jonah Hex. However, in November 2008, Neville Dean Taylor dropped out of the directing chair, citing creating differences with the studio as their reason. Interestingly, they're both still credited as the screenwriters for Jonah Hex. It's interesting to think that if they hadn't dropped out of directing, we would never have got Ghost Rider Spirit of Vengeance, which was released in 2011, and we would never have seen Nicolas Cage act as a snake. That's a story for another day, and maybe for a future episode. Hook and tease, hook and tease! After looking at directors like McGee, known for his adaptation of The Charlie's Angels and Terminator Salvation, the studio made the even stranger decision in January 2009 to give the directing chair to Jimmy Haywood. Haywood had only got one film under his belt at this point, the film in question, 
Dr. Zeus's Horton Hears a Who. It's a strange choice of director. Although I'm not against left field choices for directors. Who knew that the guy that directed a film about a father who turns into a killer clown after trying on an old costume he found in a basement would direct an MCU Spider-Man film? It was John Watts, by the way, who did that. Also, Clown is a freaking great film. Go watch it if you haven't seen it. With Haywood sat in the director's chair, filming commenced in April 2009 in the state of Louisiana. In the quickest turnaround known to man, the film was released in the US on June 18th, 2010, which was interestingly the same day as Toy Story 3's release. I know which one I'd watch, and I probably did. I really did think those toys were going to die, alright? Don't judge me! Jonah Hex opened in 2,825 theatres in the USA on its opening weekend and made an estimated $5.3 million. Ouch. It eventually ended up finishing its theatrical run worldwide, raking in $10.9 million. It's even worse when you see that the budget for the film was an estimated $47 million. I guess that is what is considered a box office bomb. The movie, critically, and unsurprisingly, was received extremely poor. Who saw that coming? Have a guess at its score on Rotten Tomatoes. Go on, I'll wait. Have you guessed? Uh, are you are, are you done? Okay. Well, at the time of recording, Jonah Hex is rated bum bada bum twelve percent rotten. Good lord, twelve percent. Not even Toxic Avenger three was rated that low. The audience score on Rotten Tomatoes is fairly similar, with a score of twenty percent. Now. Let's have a look at reviews. And oh boy, there's so much choice. L. V. Kotek of Little White Lions magazine gave the film 2 out of 5 and said, at least it's relatively short. Tom Huddlestone of Time Out magazine gave Hex a 1 out of 5, stating, Jonah Hex feels crude, lazy, and entirely perfunctory. Tim Evans from Sky Cinema gives us a positive review, probably to try and help sell it, to be honest. And who can blame him? He works for Sky Cinema. By giving it 3 out of 5, saying there's plenty of bangs for your buck. Sounds dodgy if you ask me. My favourite review, however, is from Christopher Tukey from UK newspaper The Daily Mail. He gave the film 0 out of 5, stating almost everything is wrong with it. As much as I hate The Daily Mail, that right there is a classy review. Mind you, the film exists, shit really shouldn't get a zero as much as it pains me. Now, with quite possibly the longest context dump out of the way, shall we get into it and ask, anyone for seconds? Let's cut away to some time ago, where I watched this film and... You'll see. Okay, so we are going to go in and start watching Jonah Hex. Now, I've never seen this. Fortunately, it cropped up one day on my Netflix feed. So let's see how this goes. I imagine it going horribly. Now I've read some of the comic books, I think from the pre-New 52 era. And that was kind of where I was introduced to Jonah Hex. And obviously not long after those came out, I read those. Obviously they announced the film and thought, hmm, this might be uh, worth a view. So here we are, nearly ten years later, and we're, we're going to watch it. Well, I don't really know a lot 
about Jonah Hex, aside from the fact that he's a cowboy who got horribly scarred, I think, possibly during the American Civil War. I mean, aside from that, I don't really know a lot else. I haven't really deep dove on the character. I mean, given that I think the character, in the iterations I read anyway, was kind of loosely based off of Clint Eastwood's The Man With No Name. Josh Brolin's an interesting choice. Is that John Malkovich? Yes. Yes, it is John Mal Wow, I didn't know John Malkovich was in this. Wow. The pedigree of this film is just raised somewhat okay that face makeup's a bit strange it doesn't hmm hmm I do think it looks a little bit better in the uh, Legends of Tomorrow series that's kind of been on the last couple of years hmm Hmm, I don't know, I don't know if that's quite right. What's with all the, the rock and roll and the metal? That's a bit of a weird choice, surely you would have, um... I don't know. That sounds like studio intervention. Why would you put metal in it? What a strange choice for for this. Okay, so he's just fell down the clock tower and landed in in the water. Of course he did. Yeah, of course you'd rub his boots. Wait, what? That guy was waiting in the coffin the whole time and then popped out to shoot Jonah Hex. What the hell? <laughs> oh, dear. How long was he waiting in that coffin for before he gets shot? That's a film I'd want to watch as opposed to this one. I want to watch the film about the guy hiding in the coffin. <laughs> I will generally tend to try and buy the films on a physical format to obviously help, uh, you know, support the movie industry and things like that. But this one, like I say, it just randomly popped up on my Netflix feed. So, yeah, I don't think it's going to be even worth me buying the two or three. Wait, that looked like the guy from Mastodon. I don't think it was. No, because he hadn't got the face tattoo. Looked very similar, though. I'm kind of upset that it wasn't now. Hi everybody, sorry about the poor quality for this bit. I'm actually doing it on my hands-free kit. So, remember just a moment ago, I said, that really looks like the guy from Mastodon, and it probably wasn't. Turns out I was a little bit wrong. Okay, don't hate me. So I did a little bit of research, turns out it's actually Brent Hines from Mastodon. Brent Hines being one of the guitarists from the band. Do you want to know a bit more about the soundtrack? Because I didn't really go into it in the context stump. Of course you do. So it turns out that actually Jimmy Haywood, the director of the film, actually 
was heavily inspired and influenced by the band's 2006 studio album, Blood Mountain. He actually personally called Mastodon and asked them to contribute to the soundtrack. Because the budget of the film was pretty minimal, Mastodon took massive pay cuts to do this film. Now, I couldn't find anything online to say whether they were on board to do the music while they filmed the cameo or whatever. I don't know. Couldn't find that. However, I do know that they were given 100% creative control, which is pretty rare for a film of any state. So, with my ignorance out of the way now, I'm going to let you get back to the commentary in hand. Thank you. See you soon. They are, we're doing a great train robbery, for God's sake. I've seen it so much in old westerns and stuff. They try and rob the train. Bored of it. Why didn't they try and do something new? God, this is a lot of exposition and context dumping to be taken in. It makes my context dumps in these episodes look... Well... Flawed. I kind of chuck it all at you all at once. That's kind of ridiculous. Well, having said that, the greatest contact dump of all time has to be the Matrix, where they kind of throw everything at you solid for about 20 minutes and hope you take it all in. Okay, now we've got a proper look at the makeup, uh, yeah, you can blatantly tell it's just kind of been literally a layer of plastic just kind of on his on the side of his face. It doesn't look good. It's not even kind of subtly blended in or anything. It's just uh, doesn't look good. And obviously, it's supposed to look like it's been branded or whatever, but it's not good. Oh, please don't say we're going to get a sex scene. Oh no, fade to black and then we're back into the village. Oh no, and then we're back at those two again. Why even put in about... What? I wonder if they shot, they wanted to film originally to be shot as like an R and then they've just cut it drastically. I mean, that would explain like the 80 minute running time, but that's crazy. See what though, having his lip stuck up like that must have really bloody hurt after all day, Josh Brolin. I mean, he kind of had an easy ride as Thanos because at least he was kind of in a suit all the time. He was in a mocap suit. Gee, this is really dark. Why didn't they try and stick with the R rating? It just boggles the mind. Because in the scene we've just had, we've had him obviously bring the guy back to life who's kind of dead in the cage. And his face is kind of burning away. And obviously he's saying, oh, you can hear the hellhounds. They're going to come get you, obviously. 
because I can smell fresh dead meat and stuff. That's pretty brutal and as metal as hell. That that doesn't feel kind of in the right place for a kind of PG-13, 12A kind of action film. They should have tried... I re, I'm going to... Obviously, hopefully, I would have read into this... Um, and obviously you would have had the context dump at the start of the episode. Oh wait, okay, hang on, two seconds. So he's heating up an axe to try and remove the burn? So you don't even see that. Anyway, I was just saying, hopefully in the context dump at the start of the episode, we'll have a bit more information as to why it, it seems like they've cut away half the stuff, but I can only imagine that they went for the harder rating. Um, Warner Brothers in their infinite wisdom called Nah, you need to cut it, make it appeal to as many people as possible. Which is kind of... Uh, yeah, it's not really... Done. John Malkovich. What what have they done to you? So you've got... you kind of got a, a monk haircut, at least lying around the top with really long hair down the bottom. And then long... And then kind of a strange bit of... How? What a weird... Look... Okay, so we're in the bare knuckle boxing ring and the other guy is kind of, I don't even know. He's clearly not human because he's growling and he has sharp teeth and he spits acid. Are we not going to explore that anymore? Oh, and his mouth is wide open. It's going to eat the guy's head off, but no, we're concentrating on, on, on the thing between Jonah Hex and the other guy. Why are we not concentrating on the clearly not human thing? And now Jonah Hex and the people at the top are fighting. They're seriously not going to explore this alien lizard thing. What? And then we've walked outside of the tent. And we're still not exploring it. Why? Why not just have a, a normal bare knuckle boxing? Why does he need to... What? What? Okay, so that's quite interesting. So I'm I'm kind of looking up about the character of Jonah Hex and seeing how the film version differs from the comic book version. So actually the um the thing with him being able to uh bring the dead back to life and talk to them, that was entirely made for the film. Because reasons, I'm not quite sure why they wanted to do that. I mean so by the look of it, he doesn't actually have any supernatural or superhuman powers within the comics. Just obviously he's a really good tracker. He's quite a good shot, despite the fact obviously he's quite blind in one eye. So why did they think that bringing the dead back to life 
would have been quite good for the film. I'm a little bit confused by that. I mean, yeah, I, I don't know. Very strange stylistic choices in this film. Once again, we are met with John Malkovich with his ever so strange wandering accent, which has changed from the start of the film again. I know he's quite a critically renowned actor, but he's clearly phoning in for this, and I'm, that's fine. It's fine. George Brolin, he's fine. It's all just fine. The acting is anyway. It's just fine. It's just fine. Kill him. Look, another action scene. Because of course we're going to get another action. Uh, we've, we've misplaced metal. Why does he have exploding arrows now? I hate this. I hate every minute of this film. It just enrages me so much. So this bit here we're looking at where Jonah Hex is playing out his um, unfinished business before he supposedly quote unquote dies. So he's currently beating the snot out of John Malkovich. That's actually quite visually interesting because at least he's got the red sand and the different sky and things like that. That's actually quite cool. Quite appreciate that. That's probably the most interesting thing that's happened so far in this film. Even with all the explosions, John Malkovich's wandering accent being fairly amusing. And moreover, while we're at it, why is Megan Fox in this film? Because she's only really been it, she's on the posters and obviously she's only been in it for five minutes. She did she did a sex with Josh Brolin. Um she beat some guy up because he want because he's a bit of a needy jealous person. I what was the point? doesn't really make any sense to me. I hope you all appreciate me going through this for your entertainment to tell you basically whether this film is worth revisiting. Spoilers, I think you know what my answer's gonna be come the end of the episode. But oh my word, it just keeps going. The majority of this film is just fighting and I'm bored. I mean, it's fine when it's done well. I mean, you look at something like The Raid. The Raid, the majority of that is just shooting and fighting. But it's done in a way that keeps you interested and enthralled in it. This is just boring as all sin. 
this could have been something so really very good. It could have been like, the, like I say, like the old Clint Eastwood westerns and things like that. Could have been cool, could have been really gritty, like he's a bounty hunter and he's been assigned to take out whoever, or collecting ransoms or whatever. It could have been really cool, dark and gritty, but no, we've, we've got this generic, by the numbers, kind of action film that's just boring as all fucking soon. Thank Christ, it's over. Oh my word. That, that was an experience I never wish to repeat. Please don't make me watch this again. Please. I suppose you want me all to see if there's a post-credit scene, don't you? You know, it's a DC film. Fine. There is no end credits sequence. No post-credits scene. And now you know. And right now, what we're going to do is we're going to head up to the rounding up section of the podcast. See you there. As you've just heard, I hated every second of that film. I hate it. I hate it with every fibre of my being. It's an experience I don't want to re-experience. Its main sin is that it's a boring, soulless, predictable film. For its brief 80-minute runtime, every minute feels like an hour. And boy, does it. Sure, Just Brolin is fine. But to even say that feels like it's an insult as he spends 90% of the film mumbling and sneering his way through. Although the sneering could just be due to the lump of plastic that's been attached to his face. Given that this was a movie with a substantial budget of $47 million, the prosthetics, they just looked fake and just too obviously fake. I feel like Brolin could have done great work, but the material was so weak he couldn't do his best. Well, the editing to say is, it's a mess. It's putting it lightly. There's no real fluidity to it, and it just makes everything feel so disjointed. This is apparent during the final showdown between Hex and Turnbull. Poor John Malkovich playing Turnbull. Megan Fox's only purpose in this is to, obviously, appeal to the teenage boy demographic and act as damsel in distress. The latter doesn't really work and is entirely superfluous to the plot. Not to completely rag on the film, but the set design is actually pretty good. It has a real authentic Wild West America look to it. From the saloons to the vintage old train interior. If anything, I feel like the set design is actually wasted on such a bad film. Hell, even the costumes feel authentic. From Hex's dishevelled old Confederate army wear to Lila's corset dress combo look the part. I hated the soundtrack most of all, as you probably heard in the commentary. It may have been scored by one of my favourite bands, that being Mastodon. In context with the film, it just doesn't work. In isolation, it's some good headbanging brilliance. And added to the film, it just illustrates how odd the whole experience feels. It's like having Cannibal Corpse score Casablanca. It doesn't work. 
It's like watching a video game, and not a very good video game for that. In summation, what could have been a dark, different take on the Western genre ultimately ends up as a boring, garbled mess. Maybe there's a longer cut summer in existence that significantly improves the film, but it's likely that it will never emerge. Jonah Hex, in its current state, should be avoided, at all costs. I couldn't find anything to make me want to rewatch or even pay attention in the first place. If you want a true representation of the character on screen, find the episodes of DC's Legends of Tomorrow's in and watch those instead. I can't stress this enough. Don't watch Jonah Hex. It's a vacuous, soulless film that honestly has nothing going for it. If you must see Megan Fox in the corset with a 20-inch waist, just Google it, will ya? Thanks for listening to my rambles once again. Do you agree? Disagree? Want to question my life choices? Well, we're on Twitter as at AnyonePodcast. We're also on Facebook and have a page there. Just search for us, you'll find it. Please feel free to leave us a like, rating and review on your podcast platform of choice as it helps grow this lovely podcast to reach a bigger audience and may help us watch a good film soon. Please, I miss good films. Make me watch a good film. At this point, I'll take a mediocre film just to take away the sour taste of Jonah Hex has left me with. Now, this time, I think I'll leave you with some Macedon from the film soundtrack. Thank you, good night, and stay safe.